Welcome to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast with April Elliott Kent and me, producer and co-host Jen Brown. Hey friends, Jen here. Today is March 2nd, 2020, and marching into episode 15 with me is my pal, astrologer April Elliott Kent. Hi there, April. Hey, Jen, how you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? How is it March? How is that possible? <sighs> I know I sound like an old person when I say this, but it's like time is really accelerating. It did go fast. It did. And we're coming up, as you pointed out to me, on a very special holiday that happens each March. Yes, Pi Day. Which is on what day? The 14th, 3.14 Pi, P-I, that is. Well, tell me about your relationship with Pi, the food. So many times I've had my sister-in-law send me a pizza on pie day, pizza pie. Ah. So my little heart is really warm for that holiday because that's just fun. Other than pizza, what's your favorite pie? I really love peach pie or mm. peach blueberry. Did we have the peach discussion? Well, you told me offline. I don't think you told our friends. Go ahead and share. About my complicated history with peaches. Well, I used to live in this house when I was a teenager with my sister and my mother, and we were not super on top of our arboreal duties. We had a peach tree in our backyard. And we would kind of let the peaches drop and then not do much with them. Mm -hmm. And it gets kind of hot in Southern California. And my bedroom faced the backyard and the aforementioned peach tree. <laughs> so during the times that things really got cooking back there, it was very fragrant yeah. in my bedroom. And since then, I cannot abide the smell or the taste of peaches. Of any kind. Of any type. So I'm, I'm afraid when we eventually meet, Jen, in person, I'm afraid I will not be able to join you in a slice of peach pie. How about rhubarb? I've had rhubarb with strawberry. It was acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> do tell, April. <laughs> I have strong opinions about what pie. What kind of pie do you like? Well, I was telling you before about the delicious coconut cream pie that I had last night. I do love coconut cream. Do love that. I love a good pecan pie as we talked oh, about at Thanksgiving. Pecan. I can't believe I didn't think of that first. Fantastic. Thank you for reminding me what my favorite pie is. Is it pecan? It is pecan. Yeah. Ah, okay. And as everyone will recall, I did share a recipe for my fantastic pecan pie. Episode number one. That's right. Which I can only thank the pioneer woman. It's really her recipe, but my goodness, what a pie. Yeah. What a pie. And you like pumpkin. Oh, I love pumpkin. Sure. Year round. Used to be my very favorite. Pumpkin's not my thing. Doesn't call to you? No. Mm -mm. You do not heed its siren call? I do not, because when you have pecan available, why would you go for pumpkin? Well, you make a good point. I must say <laughs> pumpkin is a delicious breakfast pie. <laughs> you're, you're waking up the day after Thanksgiving, and you're kind of rooting around at leftovers, and you don't feel like making breakfast. Pumpkin's a really, really good way to go with a cup of coffee. Breakfast pie. That's great. That reminds me of my mother. Hi, Mom. When I was in high school, I didn't eat much breakfast. So she would make my grandma's oatmeal raisin cookie recipe, Ugh. except with chocolate chips, not raisins, as I prefer it. Mm -hmm. She figured at least I was getting some oatmeal then. So she would make <laughs> me oatmeal chocolate chip cookies. Bless her heart. Love you, mom. That's a good mom. That's a caring <laughs> parent right there. Oh, good. Well, when we realize that this important holiday is nigh upon us in our next episode, we just wanted to give everybody a heads up so you can make your plans. Make your plans for Pi Day. That's right. Decide which way you want to go. Yeah. Welcome new sponsor Pie Day, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So astrologically, what do we have going on this week? We wanted to start with some moon watch. Moon watch. We've got a first quarter moon in Gemini this week on March 2nd at just before noon, my time, Pacific time. 
and it is on the Sabian symbol 13 Gemini, a great musician at his piano which is a symbol I like a great deal. Gemini, to me, represents learning, and it specifically represents the things we learn outside of official schooling. That surprises me. Mm -hmm. I thought that Gemini was all about grade school. Well, it is, and it's not that it says nothing about your early schooling. Okay. But I particularly like it in terms of the things that we learn that we're never taught. So a lot of the things that we learn in grade school have nothing to do with the curriculum. Mm -hmm. We learn how to navigate our way around the playground, how to figure out who to sit with at lunch, what group to get involved with at recess, and we learn slang. We learn how far we can push things with people without transgressing or getting popped in the jaw. So to me, Gemini is very much about colloquial learning. Okay. It's the things you pick up on the street. Or with your siblings, which are also a Gemini relationship. Siblings, neighbors, people that you go to school with. They teach us these things that you're not going to find in a textbook, but are super important to know in the world. Gemini also represents the concept of curiosity as an impetus to get started with something. As we see in this Sabian symbol, we have a great musician who's sitting at his piano. Well, how did he get that way? He practiced a lot. But you have to be interested in something in order to want to practice it to such a degree that you become really proficient with it. Or be forced into piano lessons. Right. But you'll stick with it as long as you're being forced to take lessons and to practice. Mm -hmm. And beyond that, it's unlikely that you're going to stay quite so committed. So I like Gemini because it talks about that first link in the chain of becoming a master at something or really proficient at something, which is what takes your interest? When I was a kid, I took up the guitar. Nobody made me take up the guitar. My cousin had one. I picked it up. She taught me a few chords, and I was off to the races. It interested me. It fascinated me. So I would sit for hours and practice the guitar. Nobody had to make me do it. And Gemini is that first link. It's like, what are you so curious about? Like you with astrology. You've gotten really interested in astrology in the last few years. Did anybody make you do it? Did you go to school? It's like, no, you've learned it on your own because it intrigued you. The first quarter moon is the point in the lunar cycle where we take a step forward. We decide to go toward something, a goal that we conceptualize perhaps at the new moon and say, okay, well, now what am I going to do in response to that thing that I got interested in at the new moon? The seeds that I sprinkled at the new moon. Yeah. How will I now take a step towards helping them grow, cultivating them in some way? So what we're cultivating at this first quarter, what we're called to do, is just leave ourselves open and curious to what's going on around us and take some kernel of interest and act on it. So if you're a person who's always been interested in astrology, but you haven't really taken it any further than just kind of a vague interest in it, this might be the time that you sign up for a webinar Mm -hmm. or you buy a book or do something that's a little more proactive in following up on the things that interest you that you're curious about. Nice. Yeah. And you won't become proficient. You won't become a great musician in a month. It's back to the 10,000 hours idea of practice. Yes, Groundhog Day. Yes. (laughs) But this is the start. Mm -hmm. This is the start of acting on something that you're curious about 
And that's the first step in a long chain that will eventually take you to a place, hopefully, of mastery or at least proficiency in something. Yeah. And I would have thought that studying something like, let's take astrology as an example, would have been a ninth house thing or a Sagittarius thing? I think the third house or the Gemini part of it is learning the language. Oh, okay. The basics. Yeah, the basics, the tools, the concepts, the techniques. That makes sense. And that's where everybody has to start on any great journey towards proficiency. Yeah. And if you have a lot of things in Gemini or a lot of things in the third house, maybe this part of the journey is a little more enjoyable. I don't know. It can also speak of that process by which we're self-taught in the beginning was something we're really passionate about. Mm -hmm. Now, once you get to the point where you're very proficient with the language and then you go out, say, for instance, I was talking to you earlier about some talks that I'm going to be developing for a conference in September. So when you're working at that level, then you're coming across with something conceptual. You're creating scholarship. You're doing some research. You're putting together concepts in a way that is really meaningful. And it has some philosophy usually behind them. And that you're already proficient at. Yeah, proficient at the techniques and the language of it. Yeah. So it takes it out of the third realm. It goes up into the ninth house at that point. Got it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So that's Moonwatch for this week. It's a first quarter week. Yay. All right. And then Mercury is still going retrograde, as we know. It's a- Mercury's going retrograde, <sighs> yes. It's been a beast. It's been a beast. <laughs> it's been a little fishy mm. in terms of the Piscean energy and the intuitiveness versus logicalness. It's really been hard for me to get anything done. And we had a really interesting situation here over the last couple of days as I've been pushing to get some work done. And we've had several power outages and the cat making a lot of noise. And everywhere I turn, it seems there's something that is keeping me from forward motion. Mm. And that's very much been the nature of this particular Mercury retrograde great as it's been in Pisces. This week it moves back into Aquarius. Okay. It was previously in Aquarius between January 16th and February 3rd. So what we're currently going to be doing through March 16, while Mercury is retrograde in Aquarius, is backtracking and perhaps retrieving some half-finished projects or schemes or ideas from late January. And take another look at them. Okay. I don't know. What invariably happens for me during a retrograde is people will come up from the period just before Mercury turns retrograde and it's, oh, I've lost a report you sent me or I can't understand this part of it or something where we need to go back and just address a few more details about it or resend something, Mm. something like that. Okay. So Mercury going back into Aquarius, I think the plus side of that is it goes out of Pisces where it's really been struggling. And into Aquarius, which is, again, a very strong sign for it, as we discussed at some length in one of our recent episodes. Yes. So maybe the fog lifts a little bit. Yeah. Bring some of that air energy. Yeah. It's still retrograde, but at least it is backing out of the fog. Mm -hmm. It's like you're driving down the road and you come into a patchy, foggy part of the road. And then this is like, oh, this pea soup fog is a little too thick for me. And you just put it in reverse Mm -hmm. and you just back (laughs) up until you get to where it's a little clearer. (laughs) So I think that's hopefully what this Mercury and Aquarius through March 16th is going to be about. We shall see. Okay. Venus is very busy this week. Yeah, Venus is big. She's doing a lot. And Venus, we talked last week about rulerships. And Venus is the ruler of Taurus and Libra. 
So this is a significant week for people who are born with those two signs prominent in their charts, such as my lovely co-host with her mini Libra planets, and I believe Saturn and Taurus. I have a few, yeah. Yeah, you're very <laughs> Venusian. I am married to and live with one of your tribes, so you yes, know, he's right. a Libra with a Taurus moon, so we'll keep an eye on him. You're surrounded by us. <laughs> I'm surrounded. I have brand loyalty. <laughs> Excellent. So the first thing that's going to happen on March 3rd in the morning is that Venus squares Saturn. Mm-hmm. And this combination of symbols coming together talks about refining and applying some discipline toward attaining Venusian things like beauty or reward. It can also feel like a time when those things do not come easily. You have to work for them. Okay. But it also spoke to me, some of this had to do with the Sabian symbols for this combination. Venus is on the music of the spheres and Saturn is on a woman reading tea leaves. And what those brought to mind for me was about celebrating the beauty of things in their natural state. And the anecdote, which is often ascribed to Michelangelo, but I don't think it really originates there. Mm -hmm. But it's a great story and a good symbol for this is how when asked how he created the David. And he said, all I did was chip away everything that didn't look like David. Right. And that's kind of what we're asked to do, I think, when Venus wears Saturn. What is the thing that you want? What is the thing that you desire? And it's like chipping away whatever isn't really in keeping with that. So this would be a beautiful woman, for instance, who has been relying on a lot of makeup and really complicated hairstyles and really fashionable clothes, taking it down to the basics during this time and celebrating what's essentially beautiful about her and her natural state. So it's taking out the dross, taking away the excess that isn't really necessary, that isn't in keeping with the beauty that is possible or the essential beauty of the thing that you're pursuing or the thing you desire. Yeah. If your birth chart has important aspects between Saturn and Venus, when Venus then squares Saturn, does that have extra oomph, extra emphasis? Does it impact you more? Yeah, yeah. Does it trigger things a little bit more for you? And I believe that it does. And astrologers will generally say if something that is in your birth chart is reflected in the sky through transits between the same two planets, that even if it's it's not aspecting your chart at all. You'll still resonate with it. Yeah. But it's a fast transit. It's a couple of days at most. You begin to feel this really around March 2nd. It's exact on March 3rd, maybe a little bit left over on March 4th. But what it does say is if these are issues that are generally compelling for you, either in your birth chart or because maybe you have Saturn making some aspect to your own Venus in your chart at the moment or something, It's just as this is a period of a couple of days where this does feel really important to you, really resonant to find some resolution. Sure. It can be a little tricky relationship-wise because you can feel as if there is conflict in the relationship around boundaries or rules or structures or expectations. You can feel a little bit closed in, Mm. for instance, or you might want something and your partner says, no, we really can't afford that or you don't really need that. That's the voice of Saturn coming back to your Venus. But it can also say that Venus can be introduced into a Saturn situation as well. Okay. So if you've been feeling, for instance, in your relationship as if you guys are in a little bit of a rut, 
a little bound up, which is a Saturn idea, bringing some Venus into it, bringing a little more pleasure, a trip, a nice dinner out or a couple's massage or something like that, where there is some loveliness, some beauty being introduced into the situation. So Venus is in Aries squaring Saturn and Capricorn, and they must be at the end of those signs. Mm-hmm. When planets are at the end of a sign and they're having these aspects, does that have more energy because they're at the end of the sign? I think there might be. When something's sitting at 28, 29 degrees of a sign, there is a almost unconscious feeling that you want to finish something up, Oh yeah, that you're coming to the finish line and this is your last chance to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from that point of view, I think there's a lot of energy. And you see this a lot in second progressions, which we haven't talked a lot about, but it's a more advanced concept. And when a progressed planet is sitting at 29 degrees, which will sometimes be for a year or two at a time, you really see this sense of urgency of needing to do something now and bring it to resolution. So this can be a moment where a conflict that's been building for a while in a relationship, for instance, or frustration around money or other Venus things really comes to a head. Mm -hmm. And it is worth noting, and I'm glad you brought it up, because you can be sitting there on that day feeling that you've just got to do something and make some decisions that you later regret because you have a false sense of urgency and of that's your last chance to accomplish something. So don't make any big purchases, (laughs) which we were kind of discouraged probably with Mercury retrograde anyway. Yeah. But with Venus square Saturn, yeah, it's like only the things that are the most essential and the most practical. Mm -hmm. Just to go off topic even more, as we're talking about planets at the end of a sign at 28 degrees, 29 degrees, and this feeling that you need to finish something, I'm curious what that means when someone is born at 29 degrees of a sign, when their sun is at 29 degrees of a sign. Mm -hmm. What kind of emphasis does that give to a person's chart? I think it's like a punctuation mark. It's like an Mm -hmm. exclamation mark at the end of the planet. Nice. Yeah. We say that when somebody is born with a planet at zero degrees, it doesn't know what it's going to be yet. Mm. It's like a blank slate. And so what will happen if you're born with a planet at zero degrees is you try everything imaginable related to that planet in that sign in an effort to clarify and figure out what you're doing with that planet. Do you have anything at zero degrees in your chart? No. mm -mm. I have Jupiter there. So Mm. I think it emphasizes my Jupiter quite a lot. And Jupiter doesn't need a lot of help being emphasized. It makes its its presence known. Right. So it's like everything possible related to Jupiter and Aquarius, I will try. You know, uh, I used to ride horses when I was a kid. I've done performing. I've written books. A lot of Jupiterian things, travel, a really important interest in my life. Mm-hmm. So 29 degrees is really different. You've got a completely well-developed idea of what that planet is and what you are. But the thing is, there is always that sense of you're getting ready to shift. You're getting ready to change to the next sign. And there is that sense of finishing up through your whole life. It's like if you had Venus at 29 degrees in your chart, It would be a thing of your whole life feeling as if you've really got to get this right. Hmm. If you're an evolutionary astrologer, you would be inclined to think that has to do with past lives. 
and that you're really trying to resolve something in this lifetime about relationships. Hmm. This week's tangent. Yeah, this week's tangent. Thank you. Well, Venus, of course, as you mentioned, it's at the end of its sign, which says it's getting ready to change signs, and it goes into Taurus on March 4th. Oh, she'll be so happy, won't she? She will. That is the sign that Venus rules, one of the two. And going from Aries, which is a sign in which it struggles somewhat, and going into Taurus just says this is the time when we kind of breathe a sigh of relief and begin to celebrate all of the beauty that is ours for the taking. So this has to do with enjoying what we have and what's available to us that doesn't cost us any money. An example I was using in the column that I'm writing is just the beautiful shaft of morning sunlight on the dozing cat, which mm-hmm. is such a lovely image of the sound of a loved one's voice, of the smell of something delicious baking in the oven. And why do we need money when we have such riches as these is the idea of Venus and Taurus. It's the ease of it and less striving. Now, Mars is still in Capricorn, so there will be some striving. There's a lot uh-huh. of stuff in Capricorn. So it's not like we're going to kick back and do nothing. But we're a little more inclined to downshift and be a little more grateful and enjoy what is all around us. Good little reminders. Yeah. And that principle of attraction. Some people are really interested in the idea of attracting based on what you're putting out in the world. So this is the time of relaxing and trusting and enjoying and saying, hey, things are pretty darn good as they are. And then the idea is then... You attract more of the same. Yeah. Or at least you notice more of the same, which is probably more to the point with Venus. So that will be, I didn't even notice the date that Venus leaves Taurus. Venus is in Taurus for April 3rd, 2020. And then we'll be moving on to Gemini where she will eventually turn retrograde later in the spring. So let's enjoy this Venus and Taurus while we can, which is quite straightforward and uncomplicated and celebrating the simple pleasures of life and abundance. Lovely. Now that's easier said than done when almost immediately Venus then makes a conjunction with Uranus four (laughs) days later on March 8th. It's probably the ninth most places here on the West Coast. It's late in the evening. Uranus, as we know, is very much at odds conceptually with Venus. Venus is about enjoyment and connecting with other people, relating And Uranus is about what shakes us up. Yeah. So having that conjunction there is not necessarily the smoothest and easiest symbolism for the week. It's on a difficult Sabian symbol that I wanted to talk about. It's five Taurus, a widow at an open grave. And I wanted to take this as an opportunity to talk a little bit more about these Sabian symbols. And sometimes they can express themselves really literally. Mm -hmm. They don't usually. In the case of my mother, who was born with the son at this degree, she actually was widowed at a really early age. She was widowed at the age of 36, and a couple of years later, she was set to remarry. And literally the day before they were going to elope to Las Vegas, he died of a heart attack. So sometimes, as I say, these symbols can express themselves really literally. She was born with the sun conjunct Uranus in the seventh house. Oh, wow. So it's these like sudden, difficult, really tough. The house of partnerships and one-on-one relationships. Yeah. That's really amazing. But mostly the symbols do express themselves a little more poetically. And to me, this one just suggests, you know, sudden changes are possible in relationships this week or in your financial status. That can be a good thing. Yeah. It can be suddenly you get more money back on your taxes than you expected. A windfall. Yeah, some kind of windfall. You never know. So it can be things like that. It can be something that requires us to respond more independently. 
So it can be in a relationship, suddenly the awareness that you need a little more time to yourself or that you and your partner need to come to a different way of dividing the labor in your relationship or your finances or something like that. Uranus is always about freedom and independence. And sometimes we go looking for it, and sometimes the universe just gives it to us yeah. <laughs> and says, this is perhaps more independence than you wanted, like in the case of my mother. But it nevertheless is an opportunity to function as an individual rather than just in a relationship and to renegotiate perhaps the relationship in a way that gives each partner a little more freedom. Yeah. When planets come together and start a new cycle together, one could also take this time to intentionally set a new goal or start a new story around some kind of Venus-Uranus theme, right, April? That's a really good point. Instead of having something happen to you, you could think about, okay, so Venus is conjunct Uranus in whatever house it is in your chart, and you could start intentionally some kind of story around that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a good way to look at it. And you've got a little under a year, probably, to complete that journey. Yeah. But it can be, well, let's say you're somebody who wants to start a business. That would be a really appropriate thing at the beginning of a Venus-Uranus conjunction cycle, oh. especially in Taurus, which is also very money-oriented. Your goal could be within a year, I want to be making money at my business. Or if you're in a business, I want to be making X figure of money a year from now. And knowing, again, it's Uranus, so we don't know exactly how we're going to get there. Right. It's not going to be really a straight line. But to say, I want to gain more financial freedom in my life is really the underpinning of that. And I want to enjoy the things that I enjoy, even if somebody else thinks it's weird, which is the Venus with the Uranus. Does that help? Yeah, for sure. And then last week, we also talked about rulerships and final dispositors. And so now Venus is entering the sign that she rules, Taurus. So if people want to go back and listen to episode 14 around how one planet answers to another planet in the skies, everything now will either be answering to Venus or to Saturn, right? Yeah. Venus will be answering to no one while she's in Taurus. So I like that. I like that image always for me of Venus and Taurus of a woman of substance. It's a woman because it's Venus. Of course, we all have a Venus. Sure. And Taurus is very substantive, you know? It's like, I know who I am, and I know what I have, and I know what I'm not. And she can wrangle Uranus because Uranus is in her sign. Yes. She's the <laughs> boss of Uranus. Yeah, ultimately, she has the upper hand. Right. So the other beginning cycle that we have this week is the sun coming together in its annual conjunction with Neptune on March 8th in the evening at 5.23 p.m. here Pacific time. And it's more of this Pisces theme that we've been talking about for a while <laughs> with Mercury retrograde in Pisces, with the sun in Pisces. So the sun coming together with Neptune in Pisces, it's, you know, it's the modern ruler of Pisces, Neptune is. It's a couple of days where it's best to be drifting a little bit to accept that this isn't the time to be trying to move ahead in a really logical, straightforward fashion. Mm -hmm. You might as well just plan on taking it easy. And if you have to work or be doing anything, just know that it's not the best day for really pushing hard to get things done. So the story that came to mind for me with this one is in our bedroom, we have this stained glass window that's hanging up high in a window in our bedroom, which faces east. So in the morning, our cat Spike likes to sleep at the foot of the bed because he likes to catch that sun as it comes in. But as the sun changes very slightly, he changes colors <laughs> because they'll be, you know, first he's red, then he's purple, and then he's blue and really bright green. 
He's like the horse of a different color in uh, The Wizard of Oz. And it's a lovely illusion. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing to keep in mind about the sun with Neptune is it's um, things can be really pretty, but it's not necessarily the reality of what's going on. He doesn't really turn green. It's his optical illusion, his trick of the light. So anytime we're wading into the waters of Neptune or into Pisces, we have to know, enjoy it. But don't necessarily trust what you're seeing. Mm, Okay. So is it the greatest day in the world to make a big business decision or to even go on a first date or something? I don't know. I don't know that I'd recommend it because you're not necessarily thinking clearly or seeing things as they really are. But this is the beginning of that cycle, you know, that synodic cycle of the sun with Neptune. And we're on the beginning of another year-long journey of getting clarity about what is and especially what we are as opposed to what we like to think we are, hmm. because what we are is represented by the sun, the individual. Right Now, the sun rules Leo, so it's a big cycle for Leo, the sun coming together with Neptune. So those of us born with planets in that sign need to maybe take it a little bit easy and to explore who we are through Neptunian means. So this can mean napping a little more, doing some meditation, listening to music, Paint a picture, write a song. Go to the sea and dabble your toes in the ocean. Or just watch the cat change colors at the foot of the bed Uh (laughs) in the morning, which is what I plan to probably be doing. Yeah. So it's a lot this week. There's a lot of cycles starting, which means there are a lot of cycles ending as well. And Mm -hmm. Mars will be coming up over the next weeks to conjunct Jupiter and Pluto and then Saturn as we move forward. And Mm -hmm. a lot of cycles are ending, Mm -hmm. which is kind of exciting because it means a lot of things are beginning. Too. That's always a good way to think thanks, of endings. <laughs> I like it. That is the truth, too. You can't have new beginnings without something ending, right? Yeah. So I like that. Mm-hmm. So in any event, and remember, of course, at the end of this week, go out and buy your pie. You know, put an order in for your pie. Yeah. Your favorite pie, write in and let us know what pie you prefer and what you will be eating. Maybe people do prefer pizza pie, and that's okay. Maybe they do. It's such a great idea. Yeah. Love the idea. I'll make some pizza for pie day. Well, what do you think? Have we done it? We've done it. Excellent. Number 15. In the can. Well, thanks to all of you for listening to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe in iTunes or on Stitcher so that you don't miss a single episode. You can read show notes and full transcripts and leave your comments about each episode at our website. Just go to BigSkyAstropod.com. And if you're enjoying the podcast, it would help us out a lot if you could go ahead and go to BigSkyAstropod.com and kick in a little money to help us out, as little as a dollar or as much as you want. Thank you. Yes, just look for our cute little avatar in the right sidebar to support your local podcasters with our gratitude yes join us again bright and early next monday and until then keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars thank you for listening to learn more about april elliott kent please check out her website bigskyastrology.com where you can sign up for her newsletter read her thought-provoking weekly essays purchase her books sign up for a personal astrology reading and more That's all for today. If you like what you're listening to, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast and hit subscribe to stay current with new episodes. You can follow Big Sky Astrology on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Big Sky Astrology. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll catch you next time.